All right. So uh, it's great to be speaking with Larry Augustine from Sugar CRM. Um, but before we talk to Larry, I just got to say it's 14 degrees in Atlanta this morning, folks. Um, I'm looking out. There is snow on the ground in Atlanta and there's a sheet of ice. People are freaking out. Uh, uh, there's not a lot of movement outside. Um, and it probably won't be for the next day or so, but it's actually 10 degrees colder in Atlanta than it is in DC today and in Philadelphia right now. So with that as a backdrop, Larry, it's great talking with you. <laughs> All right. Great. And, and I just want to tell you right now here, um, uh, we are suffering as well. It's 57 <laughs> degrees. Um, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it'll, it'll get warmer off of that. So it won't. Oh. Bad, but well, but uh, you know, for was, us, California, about that. Yeah. Seven, people are starting to get a little uh, little worried. <laughs> well, yeah, but, I'm, uh, I'm glad it's going to oh, warm up from 57 for you. So yeah, <laughs> always good to connect. Thanks Absolutely. for thanks for the time. So um, you know, we we've been talking about. I think it was four or five years ago when we had our first conversation around what is Amazon going to do next? <laughs> and at the time, remember, I think yeah. we talked about, I, I, I might've said, you know, I, I'm waiting for them to buy UPS or they'll create their own fleet. Okay. So they haven't done that yet, but I still think it's coming. But, uh, right. I think, and I think I, I, I agree with you. I think I, I, I said, I think you're, I think you're right. Distribution is, is uh, next important piece for them. And, and it looks like they've decided to build things themselves. Uh, as opposed to go do an acquisition like UPS, but but clearly owning all of that piece, uh, I think you were right on with it. Yeah, but in the in between that uh, time, this thing called the Echo device, uh, which three three and a half years ago, nobody really knew what it was. Um, I remember I got it back in November of 2014, and it was, it was a speaker looking thing. And you, you could ask it some simple questions, and it gave you some some pretty quick answers. And I was like, "Oh, this is kind of interesting. It's kind of limited, but we get you to see what happens with it." Fast forward three years, and it seems to be what everybody is talking about—not just the device, but the service in the device. Which is, I, I got to turn mine off because she'll start talking to me, Alexa. Yeah, I, I do the same thing over here. <laughs> yeah. um, I noticed you avoided saying her name. That's and, because there's uh, been a lot uh, of times uh, where I've said it and she just breaks into the conversation. We, well, I've learned the same thing. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. So even that, the, be, the behavioral changes that have come from Alexa, it, it's gone from not just breaking the conversations, but people ask it questions throughout the day. They can be anywhere almost in their house, have it play music, have it set up to-do lists. Now you're seeing things like it actually starting to affect business applications. And at CES, the what the big takeaway for me was the battle between Google and Amazon for voice supremacy, for lack of a better way of putting it. So what do you think uh, is going on? What's driving this? And what does it mean? There are the implications for CRM and customer engagement. Uh, um First of all, I think it's an incredible time to be involved in any of these things because watching that technology advance, uh, it just it's just amazing. It's it's a little bit like we're starting to the, the science fiction world of voice control of everything and voice interaction. You can see it now. 
Yeah. Now we've talked about it literally for decades. People have been talking about that, but now the distance, the gap is, is closing immensely. And, um, uh, you know, one of my personal hobbies is home automation, mm. a little bit of internet of things. And, and, uh, you know, I admit lots of things around the house are voice controlled through Alexa. Um, uh, I like to play with things. So I'm one of the people that has both a Google device and the Amazon device sitting next to each other. And I'll say, you know, Hey Google or Alexa. And it's, it, it's funny sometimes being able to, 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 to test them both. Uh, uh, both are very good. They have different strengths uh, and weaknesses. And I, and I love the idea that there's uh, at least two good, strong players making interesting things happen there. Uh, I, I, I think it is a, a tremendous area of opportunity uh, in the future around that. So, and, and, and if you look, uh, I think Amazon has done an amazing job with their portfolio of devices in, in what they've delivered. Um, I'll admit I was a little skeptical. As you said, the first device came out and, and okay, that's kind of fun. It felt a little bit more like a, like a uh, toy. To be fair, you know, it was nice to have, but did I really need it? Um, with the uh, Echo Show in particular, uh, uh, my family, we use the Echo Show for a point-to-point uh, you know, -point video conferencing, speakerphone, intercom all the time. My daughter's away at college. She has an Echo Show, uh, and that's how we uh, communicate. Um, it's, it's, it's been very nice. Lot of opportunity for that in the world of engagement with customers and customer experience. When you have a device sitting there like uh, an Echo Show, uh, the ability to interact with the customer over that remotely and use that device as a point of engagement. I mean, think about the possibilities. Um, you know, we do that today with voice and phone and Skype and other technologies. But when you make it so easy that it's just sitting there on the kitchen counter and you say, Alexa, connect me to whoever, connect me to support for this question, right? Or connect me to um, uh, this product or service that I'm, I'm, I'm using. Uh, you don't have to go find your phone. You don't have to go sit down in front of a computer. Um, uh, I think that's a very powerful experience opportunity. And another thing that Amazon has done well there with the new, um, uh, they have this new box that connects into the landline, phone line. So the Echo becomes a speakerphone for your house as well. And so uh, you, you start to think, well, gee, that old phone device, you know, can completely go away. It's not going to replace my cell phone because I carry that around. Um, but just as I said, it sits right there on the counter. Uh, you can get video conference to people. Uh, you can connect to uh, anyone as a speakerphone. Uh, you can start to see it becoming a true point of customer experience and customer engagement, uh, particularly on the consumer side. So I think, I think we're going to see a lot of things develop there. And, and uh, I really like where Amazon is going in, in terms of, ultimately building that into um, their engagement model with customers. So I'm going to start throwing, I, I completely believe, uh, agree with you on that too. Um, 
and I, Alexa does too. She was getting ready to say something, but I cut her off. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to jump around a little bit and, and okay. get a couple of different topics. You wrote about something uh, recently for a Huffington Post around net neutrality. Yes. Your thoughts about it. Talk about, give, give us a, a taste of where you think net neutrality is going to impact or could potentially impact small businesses in particular. So a lot of the discussion around net neutrality has gotten very technical, both from the technology points of view and the economic point of view. And uh, I, I wanted to try and make the discussion more personal. And I also think there's a, there's a true question of empowerment and equal access that's important here that I think gets lost when we get too technical about what net neutrality means, either economically or, or from a technology point of view. One of the great things the Internet done, has done is give individual content creators the ability to get their content out and reach a wide audience. Um, through distribution channel that is not controlled by someone who decides which content is good or bad. And uh, the way this comes out is there are many, many stories of individual content creators who would say, gee, I have a great idea for a song or a TV or movie or, or some piece of original content. But historically, the distribution channels for those have been controlled by big industries, record labels, uh, you know, the, the, the studios, et cetera. And uh, if they didn't think there was an audience for it, that was it. It didn't, it didn't come out, right? And uh, one of the examples I gave in my uh, uh, article was uh, uh, Felicia Day, who had this idea for a TV series based around World of Warcraft gamers. And uh, uh, she has a wonderful book. Uh, you never weird on the Internet. Uh, wonderful book, highly recommended, New York Times bestseller, very funny, it's a great read. Uh, but she talks about taking this pilot for this series to to uh, studio executives and then just, first of all, they had no idea what she was talking about, no connection with that culture. Uh, um, and they kept asking her, well, this, no, you know, there's no audience for this. And uh, finally, she... Um, got a group of her other unemployed actor of friends together, made it themselves, released it on the internet, and developed a huge audience because the internet enabled her to go direct to find the audience and get around a distribution channel that historically controlled content and got to decide what people saw. And my concern with net neutrality is that we go back to a world where the internet service providers are also content providers and they control access to content and whether I'll say uh, uh, explicitly or implicitly and how they charge for that, they end up discriminating against independent other content and that escape channel that we've seen goes away. Um, and I think we're all the poorer for it because uh, we, we, we no longer have access to that unique original content. Uh, and what you tend to get, the bigger you get in media companies, the more you have to appeal to the broad base. And you can't create things and you can't, that are um, uh, maybe have a, a narrower audience. It may still be a big audience, but it may not be big enough for you. 
and it may not be something that fits with your brand. Uh, and as we see the service providers become content providers, they're all doing that. Uh, they will favor their content. It's natural for them to do that. That's exactly what they should do in that business. But I think it's, it's our job as citizens and the job of the government to make sure that that doesn't prohibit and block and discriminate against individual content providers. Um, I think that's a very important message, and, and I, I'm a little bit surprised that I haven't seen more of that discussion mm. around net neutrality. Uh, you know, people have tried to keep it in very economic and technical terms, and those are good points of debate, but I, I think there's a broader society and social, social question that we have to make sure we're uh, looking at when we understand net neutrality. It's kind of a long answer, but... but uh, um, uh, this is something I get very passionate about over the holidays as I was looking in particular at the content I have started consuming, uh, uh, media, et cetera. It's, it's, um, I, I love the fact that there's all this variety out there and I, I've watched some of these creators be able to reach their audience through dependent, powerful channel. Um, and we're at a risk of net neutrality taking that away. I think that's a big societal issue. Yeah, and I, the, where would uh, those artists be if they weren't able to use the internet to build an audience for that, have the audience find their work and then cultivate a relationship with them that actually allows them to make a living and create as opposed to maybe do something that would have been a plan B, C, D, or F for them. They're able to actually fulfill what they're what they want to do and be able to be what they and, want to be with that and the truth the truth is you know the population of this planet is big there, there's a there's large audiences for many uh, uh types and niches of content uh and the big media companies are never going to be able to fulfill that right but if they control the distribution channels and end up as a result of that naturally favoring their own content favoring their own content and I said, whether it's explicit in, no, we don't let a competitor's content be distributed or implicit in that they charge a higher fee to that competitor, um, uh, it ends up creating the discrimination and blocking that access. You know, the other example I gave was, was Lindsey Sterling, you know, who's, who was, you know, tried going through the traditional channels right. and got the message, there is no audience for what you do. She goes on the internet, you know, she's playing uh, uh, London, New York, big venues because she was able to find the audience by going around the traditional distribution channels. Yeah. So, uh, uh, as I said, I think the border is that. So let's talk about uh, blockchain. We're not going to talk about Bitcoin which is probably a good thing since it's been tanking. No Bitcoin, no Ethereum. Uh, we could go on, right? Oh uh, yeah, we uh, could go with the, your, your cryptocurrency of choice. Um, but the, how are your how are your uh, uh, crypto kitties doing? <laughs> I, I've actually laid low uh, from the crypto <laughs> world. Um, but one thing that uh, you can definitely look at Bitcoin, but it's the the blockchain technology that has a lot of other use cases that people are really interested in. And I, my question is, how important or impactful or disruptive do you think 
uh, blockchain technology could be to CRM and customer engagement? Well, I think blockchain is going to form the basis for many forms of commerce transactions in the future because of the ability to create the distributed, agreed-upon general ledger. Um, that's a very powerful uh, technology concept, and as you said, has lots and lots of use cases. Um, you know, currency just being being one of them. Uh, I actually think it's all the other use cases that will end up really defining blockchain in the future. And I give you some examples. So, for example, customer loyalty programs. Uh, I think that they are a, uh, a great direction or, or a great use case for blockchain technologies. You know, your loyalty reward points, they're, they're a currency. And um, uh, you need to agree on what they are. The uh, um, supplier, vendor, you know, needs to agree on what they are. And then you have various rules about how you can exchange those, how you can share those, convert them to other people. Um, uh, you can see economies developing around those. And, uh, some vendors may say, you want to sell those to a friend? Great. You want to give it to a friend? Great. With technologies like blockchain, that all becomes easily manageable and you can create exchanges and mechanisms for doing that that were very hard to do in the past and limited what you could do with, say, customer loyalty uh, or rewards programs. So I think that's one example where it's going to it's going to directly come in to the customer vendor relationship. Um, but any of those cases where there's some um, some virtual uh, currency like thing that you need to share, uh, uh, I think we'll see it there. As I said, it'll be core to commerce transactions. You can see it potentially coming up in licensing. Because your license is a kind of virtual currency, so you have maybe you have a license for a certain number of seats and something you're offering, right? You can see that, um, uh, and you want to be able to move those licenses around or share them. Again, it's it's just a distributed general ledger. So I think there are a lot of places that we potentially see blockchain coming in, and and uh, uh, I know I and, and you know we at Sugar have been thinking more and more about ways to utilize that technology in uh, sharing of information. If you had to pick a guess, what time frame do you see blockchain really starting to hit the mainstream of uh, what we do? I think blockchain is going to hit very fast wow. because wow. there are, there are, as I said, start with my first example, customer loyalty programs, loyalty rewards programs. Um, any place where you have some kind of credit with a customer um, if you look at consumer or consumer apps uh, where you have in-store credit, in-game credits, uh, loyalty programs, all of those, uh, blockchain technology is great for managing that kind of, uh, they're, they're all sort of forms of currency, if you will. Uh, I think blockchain is going to impact those things very quickly because the technology is out there. Uh, it's become fairly mature. I think there's still some maturity to be developed. Uh, but it's mature enough, certainly for those applications. Uh, people know how to use it. So I think we're going to see it impact that stuff very fast. How about AI? Where are we with AI today? Is it Has it hit the mainstream? Are we there yet? AI, 
Yes. Okay. AI, I'm a little bit more, uh, uh, if you're asking the time frames for AI, I would definitely put it out there a little bit longer. Okay. Because I think, I think there's a lot to be, uh, learned. And I think AI is hitting a big part of the hype cycle a bit ahead of the technology today, as opposed to blockchain. You know, blockchain's got a lot of hype. It's actually Bitcoin that has a lot of hype. So does blockchain, but the blockchain technology, I think, is ready to move into um, applications and use cases today. I think there's still a lot of work on AI in those places. Um, and I'm always a, uh, uh, I'll say, AI optimist. And the way I see AI is in human assistance. Take away mundane tasks from us and help us be more human. Let people communicate with people and let me spend less time filling in forms or organizing data. Um, uh, let AI do those kinds of things for me. So have it help me. Uh, I think that's what we'll see at first uh, and see it, see it really work its way in out there. Um, you know, we're already starting to see AI take some tasks and, and, and do them and help us with them. So for example, there was uh, um, there's a Stanford reading comprehension benchmark. I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, Stanford University developed this. It's based on questions off of Wikipedia. Uh, you point you point your AI at Wikipedia. They read all this. They answer the questions. And uh, for the first time now, AIs are now passing humans' scores in that uh, reading comprehension test. Well, on some level, I don't know about you, I can't read all of Wikipedia. <laughs> it's too much, right? Um, uh, the fact that a, an AI can do reading comprehension better, actually what's valuable there is they can read a lot more stuff right. than I'll ever be able to read. And then it can summarize and tell me, well, here's what you care about. Here's what's important for that. And as you look at all of the um, uh, information that's out there, content that's generated, everything generated on the Internet, uh, having an assistant who can read that, comprehend it and say, okay, there have been, you know, 50 articles on blockchain, but here's the one yeah. that actually matters. Or, or three of them combined. And let me synthesize that for you. Let me give you the Reader's Digest version, if you will, of, of those three so you don't have to spend as much time to really understand things or become an expert. Um, I think you'll see AI move into those roles first. Uh, uh, I don't think people want an AI to be their relationship manager. I think people want a human experience, uh, and I uh, I have this I have this suspicion. Uh, I'll say it's just a it's just kind of a suspicion or guess. Um, but if you remember when interactive voice response first hit the mark, you know I can dial in. You know I hit the button. People around me and. Everyone got excited about that. Um, then the follow-on to that was um, people began to react negatively, and they started to say, "Just get me!" You know, everyone started hitting zero. Just get me to a human. 
right? I think we're going to see a little of that in the AI world where companies try and use it to disintermediate the relationship and use it as people replacement as opposed to people augmentation. And uh, I have this feeling that there's going to be this, I'm sick of talking to your AI, I want to talk to a person uh, uh, cycle that will hit in that. And, and that also pulls me back a bit to that notion of the AI is the assistant to that human, lets the human have more time to communicate, more time to, to do what people do well in human interaction and take some of those mundane tasks off. So I can see the, the AI being the assistant to the call center rep, handling mundane tasks for the rep and the customer, but not replacing the customer talking to a person so they feel there's a human, that's a human connection and can understand them not just um, quantitatively, but emotionally. So that's, that's sort of where I see that next step in AI. Wow. Okay. So uh, before we close. Long answer. That was, but it's a good answer. Uh, but I guess let's wrap this up a little bit and um, think of all the things that we just talked about. We talked a little about AI, blockchain, conversational interfaces, voice first devices. We talked a lot. So what company do you think of, let's say, the big guys, the the Amazons, the Facebooks, Apple, uh, Google, Sugar CRM, Facebook, yes. Sugar CRM. <laughs> what company do you see will be the one, if you had to choose one, that kind of drives the pathway forward to, that has all the components that could actually kind of steer all this in a in a direction if you had to choose one of those kind of companies which ones do you think i know i'm putting you on the spot with this but i i think about this a lot and i'm, I'm just curious to hear what your thoughts are on that you know it, it, it's it's tough to, it's tough to look and say that one company is going to lead in that um i think you pick any one of those technologies, and you probably got an ecosystem of two to three companies that lead around those technologies. So the the mass consumer voice world, uh, we're clearly seeing Amazon and Google as leading companies. As I said, I got, I've got both devices on my desk, um, and uh, it's, it's very interesting to ask the same questions because they are good at different things. Right. And I think they both have enough consumer reach, uh, enough usage, that uh, uh, they can both be successful. I also think that they will be successful in slightly different ways. So uh, uh, Amazon is clearly looking at commerce mm-hmm. as a core path for them which aligns well with their business. I think Google is looking more at information as the path for them. Um, I know you'd like to be able to say, I just have one of those, but I find the Amazon device to be a better consumer commerce interaction device. I find the Google device to be a better information Mm. device. And 
if you ask me who's going to win that battle, well, that's that, that I, I just don't know, right? Because they're they're they're, they're optimized for different things. Let me um, ask you this: Where, do you are you surprised that Apple, and to maybe a lesser extent Microsoft, has fallen so far behind those two? Um, I'm surprised that. Um, uh, Neither Apple or Microsoft have pushed as much on either of those. Um, uh, maybe and maybe not. Um, it isn't. Uh, it's not clear to me that it's core to where either Apple or Microsoft need to go as technology companies or as consumer device companies. Um, you know, everybody I think has to pick their strength and specialty. And you, do you need to own the voice interaction uh, point of interface to the consumer? Uh, there's value to that, but it's not clear. There are certainly many, many businesses that don't right. need to own that, right? Um, and uh, for example, I, I, I probably see Apple going more down the media content side than the e-commerce side. Now, you know, Amazon has gone big into media, but you see Amazon being more on the commerce side of that equation, right? And as I said, with Google, it's going to be all about what they can do with the information. Um, uh, so I think, I think Apple, um, uh, you know, needs to chart that next couple of decades for themselves. Uh, uh, but I can see them being more in that uh, media side, given given the way they've gone to market, than, than the sort of commerce approach that an Amazon is taking. Okay. I don't know if that's... Uh... <laughs> so that was, that was one. Oh, what, what, what about the, like, uh, uh, the whole the blockchain area? Who, who do you see as has the opportunity to kind of blockchain blockchain is going to be like containers um, or like uh, uh, virtualization other technologies where uh, it is going to be a pervasive technology used across many businesses mm -hmm. and it will be under the covers so so um, my prediction for blockchain in 10 years we're not talking about blockchain in 10 years we're talking about blockchain the way we talk about Linux or the way we talk about uh, um, Docker. It, it, it's, it's widely used, under the covers, facilitates many kinds of uh, products and use cases, but it's, it's a thing that everybody uses. Uh, and it, you know, it's, a, it's an enabling technology as opposed to something that is um, uh, consumer customer facing all right last question uh what's crm going to look like in five years what's crm going to look like in five years five years <laughs> good good question it's going to be a lot more uh, human interaction oriented a lot more about people it's going to be a lot more um in the world where the crm system is going to know uh it's going to help you understand the person you're talking to a lot. 
uh, help them help you understand them better. So if you look at at uh, uh, some of the things we've introduced just in the past year, our Hint product, for example, uh, which is a, a product we started selling that takes essentially an email address or a name and turns that into a profile of the person for you. Essentially doing what you might just do yourself, which is go out, Google the name, look for them on Facebook, Twitter, um, LinkedIn, understand that person. The goal there is to, is to enable a conversation where it's, it's, you can connect much faster and you can understand that person much faster. And I think that is the role that CRM you'll see much more around in, in five years. We're moving from a, a world where uh, CRM was very transactional and operational to where CRM is going to be the assistant to help you understand the customer better, to interact with them, and really work, uh, I'll say, help, help you do your job as being part of your daily life. So, so you get up in the morning, um, CRM system is going to tell you who's reached out to you in the past, you know, 24 hours a week that you need to, to respond to what you care, what they care about, what information they need to know. It's going to help set you up, up to communicate with them. It's not going to do all that for you. As I said, I think that's where the human interaction becomes important, but it's going to be that virtual assistant that helps you, um, do your job, um, hopefully gives you some time back for the rest of your life because you're spending less time being the admin and mechanical person doing things um, and lets you do what people do best, which is be human and talk to other humans. So I, I think that's where we're going. Um, uh, I think we can get there in five years. All right, so where can people learn about how Sugar CRM is going to take us there in five years? <laughs> Great. So, you know, SugarCRM.com, we've got everything there. Um, uh, we have our annual conference that I'll, I'll put out there for people uh, that's in October of this year. A great event in Las Vegas of this year, week of October 8th. Uh, uh, we've got all of those pieces put together. But uh, come to the website, give us a call. It's all out there. Larry, thanks again for the time, man. Thanks, Brent.